0: I'm Howard Linton, a general partner at Social Leverage. And today, I am panicked that I may never see a good deal again. Sir, welcome. Well, thank Nuts. you so much. Appreciate it. How are you? I'm splendid. Thank you. How are you? You are splenda. You are a uh, fake sugar. <laughs> well, it's good to be here. It's you and me today. Very nice. We've had a couple of these where I'm uh, just catching people up on my life. Um, we had an episode about Wallstrip, correct? Yes, we did. We had an episode about stock Twits. Yes. And today... Taking a switch. One of the most asked questions week in, week out as a investor and entrepreneur is, Howard, what's your biggest mistake? What's your biggest miss? So I thought it would be a good time, seeing that it's twenty twenty three, and I've been doing this a hundred years, to go back a little bit uh and talk about this. What do you think? I think that's a splendid idea. Do you have a biggest investing mistake? That comes to the top of your mind. It should generally be something, you know. Oh, yeah. It was my first trade in E Trade in 1998, and it just <laughs> flopped completely. And that's why I decided I, my biggest investment strategy would be to follow Howard. Well, thank you. Do you remember the company? No, I how, blocked it out. How has uh, following Howard worked out for you? Pretty damn good. Well, listen, when you find out today about the things we've missed, uh, you may change your tune. <laughs> <laughs> You uh, never asked about these so I'm going to tell you. So All right. in our industry, the venture industry, there is a uh, a legendary firm Bessemer Venture Partners and they made famous something called the anti the anti 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 portfolio. Hmm. How do you say that, Ethan? Anti. 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 And Uncle Lou. There's anti and Uncle L. The uh, so the anti portfolio, and they they say it's honoring the companies we missed, and they've been in business I don't know a hundred years writing checks, investing in companies from seed all the way through late stage, and here's here's a few that they've missed. Jeremy Levine, one of their best uh, partners of recent twenty years, passed on Airbnb. He thought it was overvalued at a forty million dollar valuation. Whoopsie. Now, <laughs> I probably would have passed two at a four he I think I forget the year it was two thousand ten. So that's on their website front and center. Uh Apple, yeah, who would have thought? Right. Yeah, Apple. Well wow. they invested in Pear, the computing company Pear, uh, which hasn't done quite as well. Uh FedEx, I mean who's gonna ship stuff? I mean, my God. Hardly anyone. Uh what else? Intuit, quicken. No one will do taxes online or balance their books. And uh, Coinbase, there's the eBay, the list goes on and on. Right. And they're shamelessly, which I think is part of the joy of investing, the irreverence, is is that they've created a whole anti-portfolio. And um, I don't know how to feel about my anti-portfolio because it's not quite as uh, deep. Now, there's ways to look at the anti-portfolio. And one is, they got a seat at the table. They were asked to dance right does that make sense yeah so there's that there's that side of it which is you have to be at the plate you have to have money to invest and then you have to be asked or bully your way in to invest i assume their anti-portfolio are things that came to them or things that they looked at and they decided for some other reason to pass and i think in the spirit of that a lot of people especially on the internet that I know, uh, brag. There's a lot of braggadeering. Do you see that too? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've never bragged. <laughs> um, well, th- I guess that is a form of bragging, but I've never bragged. But the internet, especially in the world that I live in, Twitter, Fintwit, and Stock Stocktwits, uh, people brag. Um, yeah, they, they, they start podcasts. They joyously share the wins. And I have had some doozy anti-portfolios And so I thought for other investors that listen in, and there are now a few um, to go back in time and we'll talk about three of them. And I want to set the stage um, because the markets have changed. So if we were to go back in time to my, to my biggest errors, and I would call them errors of omission versus errors of commission. The last few years we have seen a lot. I think in hindsight, we will see a lot of investors smack their forehead and say, oh much like you in 98 with e-trade in the public markets when the markets were going wild uh there are more eras of commission over the last few years than omission there was this fomo going on uh interest rates were zero uh one of my biggest complaints were you know people were doing stupid things uh we were all farting around with crypto a uh, lot of fraud at the end. And, and what we'll see, especially in the private markets, is people uh, upset about the errors of commission, meaning they wrote checks that they probably just shouldn't have. So, unlike the FedExes, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know what you would call, companies that will be embarrassing, not from a standpoint of I missed it. But embarrassing, like, I can't believe I wrote a check into that. And I myself have smacked my forehead doing that the last four or five years with my personal money, less so with, with our LP money, because of the prices. My first huge errors in, in seed investing were more about errors of omission. And, you know, in thinking back and in, in doing today's episode. You know, I was trying to think through what what was different then, and in two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when most of my errors of omission occurred, and my biggest one, I think, that I could have swung out of miss was two thousand thirteen. All those that era, um, people made fun of investing in in startups. Um, Even YouTube at the time, people were like, oh, this will never be, you know, it was cat video. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the great financial crisis. We had the internet boom ending in you know, the hangover from 2000 to 2006. Uh, And then you had 2006 to 2008, you had LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and there was this general mocking of these things. They're never going to make money. You know, they are overvalued. They're a fad. And this is even before the iPhone. But I was down the rabbit hole and fascinated by this because I didn't have the scars of the 1999 internet you know, Like, I hadn't invested in, in startups. And, and also, something that was going on is I was immersed in it myself. I was playing with all these products. So that helps. Right. So in 2006, I'd started Wall Street. We talked to that story. And because of that success, I started seeing deals from very smart people. Mm-hmm. So I would say my first era of omission it cost uh, you and me and uh, Ellen, who's listening, a lot of money was Fred Wilson uh, presented Twitter to me. Have you heard of Twitter? Uh, yeah, briefly. <laughs> well, now you have, because Elon Musk. But back then, it was just a bunch of people farting. And there was no iPhone yet, so Twitter was on a Blackberry, and it was a desktop-ish product. And so Fred Wilson, uh, because of the success of Wallstrip, and we were friends, He presented me an opportunity to invest $25,000 in the Twitter at a $17 million value. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Why is the intern Ethan laughing too at me already? Well, because it's You shouldn't be laughing. This This is out of your pocket. So Fred offered me as a favor. Well, he didn't think it was investing. It's not really a favor. He had just called me and said, Howard, I know you like... The Twitter you you are funny. You post a lot of uh, pee jokes and whatever you're you're doing over there on the Twitter. Would you like to invest twenty five thousand dollars? And I said, Fred, uh, as a sophisticated now investor in startups, I said, Fred, what is the price? And Fred said that would be three million on seventeen million valuation. At the time, I think it was two thousand eight ish. The world was coming to an end. Twitter was growing but the you know wall street i had done the deal at like $60,000 valuation you know i don't think well obviously i hadn't started stock twits yet but i was starting stock twits uh, maybe i was starting it and we had raised it a $600,000 valuation um so maybe right or wrong i i said fred you're you're insane um uh, please don't call me with your harebrained ideas anymore oh. which he hasn't and uh, i will take the passero on this overvalued idea. And I remember thinking to myself and Fred really is funny about this cause he agrees, I said, Fred, I'm, I'm trying to understand this again, 2007, 2008, I couldn't dig up the emails or texts, but I couldn't wrap my head around how Twitter could be a two to 400, you know, to make 10 or 20 times more money. I couldn't wrap my head around how, and this, pre-network effects, YouTube had just sold for a billion six. So I couldn't wrap my head around how Twitter could be a two to $400 million valuation. Forget the $44 billion, uh, <laughs> that Elon Musk feels like he got a deal on uh, 16, 17 years later. So so that was an error of omission with my own personal money. I think at, at a point I would have sold, let's conservatively call it $4 billion. The 25 grand would be uh, between four and six million dollars. Do we have any uh, cash register stands play there? <laughs> Cutting. So, anyways, Ethan and Knute, yes. um, that's a big miss. And that is an era of omission. Now, let's give some context to that era. And did Fred invest? Yeah, Fred led the round. Ra- oh, fuck. And that's why Fred is probably a billionaire and I'm a thousandaire. But at the same time, not only did Fred invest, he said, "Okay, I understand. I explained to him why I was passing." And his next call was to—I uh, would—I think it was the next call because he still was going to let a friend invest twenty-five thousand. His next call was to Jeff Pulver, who, of course, invested. And Jeff is now retired. And every time for the next few years, Jeff saw me in event, he would run up and hug me. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> Jeff would just say thanks for. Turning down that investment, so there was a uh, it was a bit of a funny thing. Now, did he offer to share with you his winnings? No, no, no. He didn't. <laughs> he he would just dance in front of me. And, it wasn't a victory dance. It was a happy dance. He would dance and point at me. Oh my god! So what did we learn from that? Because it's important. That was the beginning of my investing in startup career, and I couldn't understand. Remember this pre-AWS, this pre-iPhone. Mm -hmm. pre-mobile explosion, you know, BlackBerry was just texting. It wasn't the full internet. So in my mind, I I don't think like Fred, that network effects was just not a term that was famous. And so couldn't get my head around, even though I was using the product, couldn't get my head around how that could be 10 to 20 times my money, how wrong I was. And this was just my personal money. Uh, It didn't have a fund at the time. So I remember Fred telling me a few things over the years because we joke about this all the time is if you love the product and you love the team, didn't know the team, and you think the TAM, the total addressable market is big, you can't worry about the price. And that was, you know, a lesson that Fred in hindsight explained to me and Again, even to this day, I don't know if I can get my head around that concept. And to be honest, over the last few years, that has helped me avoid errors of commission because I feel like the crypto craze and the end of Web 2 led a lot of people for 15 years of seeing these Twitters happen and Ubers and Airbnbs, that people just felt, okay, this is gonna be huge and they compared themselves to the Twitters and Ubers and Airbnbs, and they made these investments not really understanding that network effects was ending, and that without network effects and without 0% interest rates, you can't just take a pithy comment from Fred and apply it to every type of investment. So true. So it was a great lesson for me. And my takeaway was, you know, I'm at the plate I'm using these products. I believe in this trend. But I missed it. The next big miss was almost right after. It was uh, Mark Pincus at Zynga. We had invested together in a company called Buddy Media. Mark had an idea at the first board meeting uh, while we were in the bathroom to start a company called Zynga, named after his dog. And we had kind of agreed on a price Uh, At the time, we had invested in Buddy Media. It was a million on two. It was a 33% dilution for the founder. One on two, which is absurd in today's market. But, well, not absurd, but founders will not do one on two deals because they've been getting one on 20 and one on 15. Mm -hmm. But in that era, you know, we struck up a deal, you know, in the bathroom, Mark and I, and we agreed to do the same terms, or we had talked about the same terms as Buddy Media. Flash forward a few months, and Fred... Emails me and here, calls me, and he says, you know, we're going to do, we're going to lead the Zynga round. And I said, yeah. And Fred says, you know, Mark told me that um, you were going to invest. So I'm calling you. Uh, we're closing the round. And I said, great. You know, what are the terms? Uh, thinking that, you know, Fred would say one on two. And they were the same as Twitter. They were three on 17. And so in my head, I was already up eight times my money. But, uh, I wasn't, those terms were long gone. And by the time Mark did get around to raising money, it was that three on 17. And it was right around the same time. Mark was wanted to build a poker app. He had a successful poker app on Facebook and he was going to build, uh, you know, Zynga games and my genius, I was upset at the change in valuation and the same mistake because I didn't understand network effects. You know, Facebook was new and I'm not a gamer, Uh, I passed on that round. And I think that 25 grand would be worth about 10 million. So there's 14 million just scratched off the balance sheet of Lindsay's (laughs) enterprises. And so those are two massive personal errors of a mission where I, I saw them, I knew the people, I loved the product. But because of the macro and because of where we were in time and because there was no FOMO, there was the opposite of FOMO. There was skepticism about network effects. There was skepticism about YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. There was no mobile phone. It was hard for me to project these valuations into being something that we can make money. Does that make sense to you, Kenneth? It does make sense. So I can sleep at night because if I were presented with these ideas today, I might make a more informed decision but for me that when valuation makes no sense to me and I'm holding something what I think is going to take seven to ten years I I really need to understand why I'm locking up my money. Now you flash forward to 2023 interest rates are five percent and on the way up we have a throttling of network effects meaning Apple is throttling through privacy Facebook and therefore network effects are dying um Elon Musk has shut down the API on Twitter. Uh, Everybody has an algo and everybody's shutting their pipes versus 2006 to 2010. They're opening their pipes. So now I'll talk about my biggest, I would say my biggest miss because, first of all, price wasn't a problem. Second of all, I had unbelievable confidence in this trend. And thirdly, um, you know, it was right there to write the check. So so this was in 2013. Company at the time was called eShares, and today it's called Carta. Oh, I don't yeah. Know, do you, do oh, you use yeah. Carta? yeah. So Carta is where you get all your updates about our fund, etc. So at the time, it was called eShares, and, and the founder, Henry Ward, was raising money on AngelList. And AngelList is a platform that allows founders and investors to meet, kind of like Facebook of investing. And I am an investor in AngelList, proud investor in 2010. And so we, at the time, 2013, AngelList was kind of a place where people just hung out and shared deals. right? And I had this really, you know, I had probably my best ideas was wrapped around one thesis, which started in around two thousand six when I met Fred Wilson and one of my beefs about venture capital at the time was cause I was coming at venture capital from a hedge fund world in a wealth management and money management role. The venture capitalists of, of that era, especially the best ones like uh, union square, um, they would give money to people like Jack Dorsey, uh, people like Mark Pincus mm-hmm. at the highest risk moments, of the business. So they would invest, let's say on Twitter, Fred would invest, the firm would invest three on 17. And then if that company worked as it did with Twitter and it did with Mark Pincus and those founders would make a billion dollars, they would then get a cold call from Goldman Sachs or Goldman Sachs would court these people. And that money that they made would go to Goldman Sachs, meaning, Yes, the founder makes money. Yes, the venture capital gets two and twenty, but the billion dollars that the founder made would now go on deposit at Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs would then go on to rape and pillage clients, to the tune of you know one percent a year and a billion dollars. That mass starts adding up. Does it? Does it not, Kenneth? Yes, so, it does. So I remember calling Fraggle Fred. You don't know what you're doing here. You've built all this trust. You you Union Square takes such big risks. Or on these teams. And then when the company works, the founder takes his cash away from Union Square, gives it to a bank. And the next time you speak to that founder is when they need high risk money again. I said, wouldn't it make sense that you would offer these services in and around Union Square, you know, wealth management, a family office setup? Shouldn't Union Square do this? And I remember Fred saying to me, hmm, maybe but we don't want to be in that business. And so from that moment on, I you know, I understand why Union Square didn't want to do it, but I said, no, that's coming. There is going to be banks and firms that see this problem and all these things will be connected. If you are a seed investor and very good, you'd be silly not to offer all these services at some house so that you could stay connected to that capital. So that was a thesis of mine from the time Fred, you know, passed on the idea. Because I said, Fred, let me set this up for you. I mean, it's it's silly to leave all this capital on the table. Um, you hire a few good people to, to run these family offices services at Union Square. You can keep the circle of life going within Union Square. To his credit, Fred said, you know, it's a good idea. It's just not for us. Flash forward to... 2013, and I'm an investor in AngelList, I started StockTwits, you know, you've got Wealthfront, you've got Betterment, and you have all these financial apps. There's no Robinhood yet, but you have all these financial apps built around wealth management and managing your money and, you know, trying to copy Vanguard. And along comes this idea, eShares, and the idea. the idea is just basically for founders to organize their cap table online. And this is something that before this had been tried many times, but really what happened was a very paper oriented business where the lawyers would mark up the cap table. It was kind of controlled by the lawyers and the lawyers would really be able to charge a lot of fees. If you remember in the days and you'd send a cap table back and you had to eyeball it and it was all very much done mechanically on an Excel spreadsheet, but controlled by the lawyers. So Henry's idea, Henry Ward's idea at eShares was to get all this automated. And I thought it was really genius and we were excited about doing the deal. And at the time our fund would write hundred thousand dollar checks. So this would have been something you could have invested in right? if uh, we had followed through on this and the valuation of Carta was somewhere around four or five million, there was no checks against it. The price seemed reasonable and this is 2013, this is, you know, 5 million wasn't extraordinarily high. The founder had a great idea. It was a product that I definitely thought should be built. And we had long conversations, you know, email threads and conversations with Henry about investing. And we would have been one of a a couple million dollar check or a million dollar check. So it wasn't like the deal was not decided on whether we would write the check. We just had an opportunity to invest a hundred thousand dollars. And it wasn't for lack of trying by Henry. Henry followed up and really wanted us to invest because it was a thesis of mine. And I remember calling Naval. This is our mistake. This is where the mistake started happening. This is where social lever should have just written the check. And this fund was also the the fund that invested in Robin hood. So Carta, you know, this is why it hurts me is that it's not that we didn't see it. You know, our job is to make sure we have a thesis, um, and this is why I think Bessemer has their anti-portfolio. They can't explain why they just passed. So we had done the work. We were at the plate. We saw the deal. There was no problem with the price. Henry was chasing us down. Tom liked it. Chris Corovo liked it. We knew it was not a huge technological mode. It, it, and it was not going to be easy. So I remember calling Naval because the dear the, the, Naval who founded Angelus and Naval... And I had many discussions about what I had talked to Fred about over the years and how AngelList could be that hub to control all, you know, the life cycle of founders and cap tables. And because eShares was shared to me on the AngelList platform, I assumed Naval knew about it. And I called Naval and I said, Naval, I mean, are you going to let Henry and eShares exist? Shouldn't this just be a feature of AngelList? You know, this was part of my plan for investing in Angelus, that Angelus was going to run the table here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly what Naval said to me, but he did agree that this was something that Angelus should and would build. And therefore, my mistake was probably overdue diligencing and making that call to Naval. Really, I should have just written the check and let the competition, you know, go canoe. Bet on both horses. Bet on both horses. Or just, you weren't betting on both horses. Naval liked the idea. He didn't commit to doing it. It was just sitting there in my lap. And because I assumed that Naval, from my conversations, was going to build it, and because they would have network effects, which by now I knew what network effects were, I thought that Carta really didn't have much of a chance. Or if they did, man, it was going to be a fight. And today I think Carta is right around $6 billion. So, you know a hundred grand, and that that fund was a six million dollar fund, and it had Robin in it um so assuming we wrote no more checks and that we held to about a two or three billion dollar valuation, that's about thirty million dollars can it okay so um so that is now. what you call have you ha- have you had something that big? was your e trade miss that big? no, 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 <laughs> not even. So there is a story. I think if you are an investor, hopefully this helps you take away a few things. Um, There's no specific way to prevent the anti-portfolio. There is um, two things. One is make sure that you're seeing things. The good news is we were seeing things, we had an opinion, but that was one where we didn't swing. We just completely missed. Um, I can't explain it. Henry's still the CEO. The company's gone on to change its name from eShares to Carta. Um, Fred Wilson and his firm ended up investing at the next round. So I remember biking in Coronado and and getting a call from Fred uh, pulling over, and he was saying, you know, we're going to lead. And I was just like that sinking feeling where, you know, a year and a half later, they're doing the round, and it's like the legends are doing the deal, and you had passed on it. Pre legend. Oh yeah. So that is one that stings. And I think if you've been in the business or writing checks, you will have these. And I don't know if it's worse, you know, errors of commission or errors of omission. Um, But I thought I would share those in the spirit of, you know, honoring the companies we miss. So, so that's Twitter Zynga and Carta. This is where, you know, the Seinfeld episode, Even Steven. when you write checks over this many years, 20 years, uh, sometimes you get lucky and, and there, I call it Even Stephen, where something that shouldn't have worked out so well, works out really well. Yep. So if you are going to invest, you know, remember it's, you know, 20, 30, 40 year life cycle of investing. You are going to be doing this a long time. There are going to be errors of omission and commission and, you know, really think through your anti-portfolios and, and go through that and embrace, you know, that you are going to miss things. Um, so hopefully that helps. Can you? Yeah. I'm really depressed. <laughs> so you figure on a $6 million fund, probably another five times, you know, conservatively your money. So it was expensive. Yeah. It was expensive. And that is part of investing. For Henry, you know, I used to write about it all the time in 2015, 16, 17, not knowing I could get to six billion. And he was always a good sport about it. I did try and get me in in that company. I think I would have been a good investor for that company. We use the product. I know. Um, Now today, 2023, AngelList does have a strong competing product. I think there's a few products out there competing, but what did I get wrong? Well, Angelus was slow. They were busy building their fast growing business and never got around to adding this feature, which might have sidetracked them. And Carter just ran like hell. Eshares Carta just ran like hell. And honestly, the product today is pretty much what the product was back in 2013, other than the name change. So kudos to Eshares Carta people. Kudos to Pincus and Zynga. Kudos to uh, Ev and Jack at Twitter and Union Square. But that is uh, my anti-portfolio. Any thoughts, comments, Canute? I just remember we, uh, we had an opportunity to do more shares in um, LifeLock after the fact. And I think we were a couple of cents off, and I'm like, oh, man, I want some more of this stuff. And they did great. Yes. Yeah, so LifeLock was one that we did a long time ago as well. Yes. But we, we won there. We didn't win as much as we could have. We did win. Yeah. So if you do this, you know, give yourself a little bit of a break. Keep track of the ante portfolio and uh, hopefully this uh, helps people. You are listening to Panic with Friends. Today was a special episode where I uh, beat myself up, but generally we have entrepreneurs, founders, venture capitalists, traders, uh, trying to keep people you know one step ahead of the curve. You can search my name, Howard Lindzen, or Panic with Friends on Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, the Internet and you will get a link to Spotify, Apple, Google. You can subscribe, and you will get one of our shows every Thursday. Uh, It hits, and you won't have to do anything else but lean back and listen. Knut, thanks for doing this. We will see everybody next week. Howard Linzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of social leverage or stock twits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.